0: Let's begin the sermon with prayer. Dear God, open our hearts and give it eyes to see the truth that you have in front of us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. This morning we have five short verses. Um, It's one of those uh, texts that I like to call a red letter sermon because 90% of the text is Jesus speaking. And so there's a, it's loaded with imagery, it's loaded with application and impact for our lives. Um, I've called it the fox and the hen because really it's broken up into two big images um, that Jesus uses. First of all, Jesus is approached by the Pharisees of all people who warn him about a plot on his life, and Jesus, uh, a plot on his life by Herod, a ruler in the area, and Jesus calls Herod a fox. And then in the second part of the text, um, Jesus mourns over Jerusalem, and we're going to look into what that means, and he says that he has this, it's a striking image, this desire like a mother hen has for her chicks to gather all of the lost that are rejecting God's prophets, God's message under his wing, and we're going to look at um, what what this means for us today here and to see the love of God. Now, if you've read some of Aesop's fables, this sounds like one of those fables, the fox and the hen. Um, But do you know who usually comes out on top? It's usually the hen, at least the ones that I came across. The hen's up in the tree, and the fox comes and tries some kind of sly trick to get the hen to come down and eat it, and the hen totally sees through it and wins in the end. But the strange thing about this scenario, when we look at the life of Jesus and in the meta-narrative of Lent, the season that we're going through right now, you know what happens? The hen not just only comes down from the tree, the hen walks right into what? The foxhole. (laughs) And so we have to ask ourselves today, because we know how, you know, 2020 vision, we see how everything ends, we have to ask ourselves, so why would the hen walk into the foxhole? What would lead Jesus to do this sort of thing? If he is God and he is in control, and, he, and you're going to see it as this plays out, but the text goes like this. At that time, or literally in that hour, some Pharisees, they approached Jesus and said, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Now, immediately, your suspicion bells go off, right? Because who are the Pharisees, first of all? Pharisees are a religious sect um, that had very particular ideas about how people should behave. They were not, in our day, we kind of say somebody's a Pharisee, that's a dig. Back then, if you said somebody was a Pharisee, that was a huge compliment. You were a moral person, you did what God told you to do, you didn't just do what God told you to do, but you went beyond that, and you made rules to keep the rules, all right? And so the Pharisees approached Jesus, and usually when they're approaching Jesus, what are they doing? They're trying to trap him, okay? And this time they come to him and they say, Jesus, 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 there's a plot on your life. You need to leave this place. Well, there's two schools of thought on this. The commentators are kind of split. Um, Some scholars say that the Pharisees, this group of Pharisees is like the country Pharisees compared to the city Pharisees that were really against Jesus. And these Pharisees were like Nicodemus who honestly was coming to know Jesus and they sympathized with Jesus, And so when they heard about a plot, could be true, could not be true, I don't know, we'll find out, um, that Herod wanted to kill Jesus, they rang the alarm bell for Jesus. Now that's one school of thought. The other is the one that I lean towards a little bit more is that these Pharisees were just going about their business, their everyday business, because you see what they want Jesus to do? They could be manufacturing this and saying to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Herod, that ruler, you know that bad guy that put your cousin John in prison and he killed John? He's, he's going to attack your life now and so you need to leave this area. You see how they're trying to get rid of him? It's just another way that they're trying to get rid of Jesus. Pretty creative way, you got to admit. So the Pharisees come to Jesus, whether they were, whether they were, um, whether they were you know, legit or not, they are coming to Jesus and they're telling Jesus about this plot on his life. And then... They say, Herod wants to kill you. This is Herod, the second one that we know in the Bible. The first one was the Herod that was there when Jesus was born. He was Herod the Great. He was the one who um, became suspicious when the wise men came to visit him, and, he, and they said there's a king of the Jews, and he, and he did infanticide across his land. The children two years and younger were killed. He was a bad, bad guy. Well, he died probably around a 4 or 5 A.D., and his son, Herod Antipas, became the ruler of Galilee or this northern region of Israel, and he wasn't good either. Like I said, he was the one that imprisoned John the Baptist, and he was the one that killed him. And so it would be easy to believe that he would want to kill Jesus too, whether this plot was true or not. Um, The next verse says this. Jesus replied, "'Go tell that fox.'" I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day, I will reach my goal. Fox. Foxes, they're not the biggest animal. They rely on their slyness, on their cunning, even to get, like, not even big animals. I mean, if they can get a big animal, they have to be really creative, but even to get little rabbits, they have to be sly and quick and use their brain. But it's a dig, and it sounds something like this. Jesus says, Herod, you think that you're so bad. You think that you're so scary. Herod, you're a fox among wolves. Herod, you are this fox that nips my ankles, and I come and I go as I please because I am the big dog. Not you. Jesus is saying, I do what I want to do on my time, in my place, because I am God. And you don't come and ruin my plans, but I assert my power in this world in the plans that I want to do in the way that I want to do it. And we would see this play out too, because Jesus, it says that he's dead set on his goal. What's his goal? To go to Jerusalem, we know this because of uh, what he said to his disciples before, to suffer, to die, and to rise again. And so it's kind of funny that, the, that Herod, if he has this plot and it's real, is looking for Jesus because he wouldn't find Jesus. Instead, Jesus would show up where? On his doorstep, on Jesus' time. Herod and his soldiers wanted to see Jesus do miracles and uh, perform things and signs, and Jesus didn't do any of that in front of him later on. Instead, Herod put a robe on him and sent him back to Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate and Herod became friends after that, it says. Do you see that Jesus' resolution, his, his goal, his, his ability to carry things out, his resolution and resolve is greater than any of his enemies. And we, we need to remember that as we go about our daily lives too. Jesus' resolve in our life is greater than any of our enemies. That's why we pray what we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. Because God will get done what he wants to get done and he's not going to let any fox or any kind of sly kind of plan get in the way of it. All right? And so we have Jesus showing his resolve that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to finish the task, this stark picture of calling Herod a fox because Herod's actually going to do what Jesus wants to do in the end. And when we see the hen going into the foxhole, we're going to remember that throughout Lent, that this is not man's plan, this is God's plan. All right? The second thing that we take away from this text is in the next part. Um, in verse 33, it says, in any case, again, Jesus is still speaking, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day for surely no pro-, I'll say that again, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. If you listen to that again, it's just, it's, just uh, it's soaked in sarcasm, I think, when I read that. Um, I heard somebody say this week, Oh, you know, it was my wife, she said it this week, she said, you know, sometimes, you know, it was about the last sermon, I wish that we could be there when Jesus said something, you know, so we could hear the tone that he said it in, and I think about that a lot, but when I look at this verse and I hear him talking about like a fox, and I talk him, hear him talking about, for surely no prophet can die in Jerusalem, I want to know that tone that he said that in. Because he's saying, he's saying this, um, we used to have a saying, I guess it was only a couple pastors and I checked with other pastors this week, that in our church body, when you got a call to the seminary, that you go to the seminary to die. In other words, not that the seminary is bad, but that's like your last thing that you ever do because you're going to be a professor forever. That's not so true anymore. But Jesus is saying, surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the ethnic and the religious center of the Jewish people. It represented all the Jewish people. And when he's saying Jerusalem, he's not just saying that city, but he's saying, you know, look over history. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and all, the, or, or, uh, all these prophets like Hosea that have been rejected by God. Many of the God's spokesmen have been killed because of the message that they gave. Surely no one can die outside Jerusalem because every prophet that has been sent to God's people has been rejected by God's people. And Jesus is the greatest prophet that came to God's people, and he too would be rejected. So what's the response that Jesus has to this? Anger? Frustration? Coming down with God's fury? Because you and I have rejected God too. And we don't have to be in the religious or ethnic center of Jerusalem to reject God and his message we can reject God and His message like maybe famous people do that walk away from the church and uh, are, are antagonistic towards Christianity. And we might say, oh, wow, yeah, they definitely have rejected the message. But we can reject the message the same way in our hearts and be sitting in a pew almost every Sunday when we know that God says, don't lust. Don't envy. I've given you everything that you need, and so why are you running after the idols of this world, and yet we leave these doors and we run after the idols of this world? Rejecting and killing the prophets. When you hear the message today, and you know that Jesus has given his life for you, and yet you live such a different life than he has called you to live, you reject that message and you kill the prophets. What's Jesus' response to this? It's in the next couple of verses. He cries over Jerusalem, and he cries over you and me, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are not willing. Last week, two weeks ago, um, Last Sunday, we prayed for a young woman, actually, Luann, a young woman of a friend relative of yours. Her name is Kaima, and she had a brain aneurysm, Um, and she's 24 weeks pregnant. Before she went into the coma, and I got these updates through Luann and Pastor Patterson uh, on Facebook, the family's sharing this news uh, with us, and they know that we're praying for them. Before she went into her coma, which she still is in right now, uh, she said, stop worrying about me. (laughs) Everybody, she, she knew something was coming, she knew this was serious, and she said, just stop worrying about me. It's a scary moment because we're praying for her and God, actually to this date that I know of, is that she's still alive and the baby is doing really well, although the doctor's prognosis hasn't changed. Um, The family said on Facebook, they were saying thank you for all the prayers, and they were writing about this pretty beautifully, but Kaima had this awesome resolve that I picked up on when I read this on Facebook. Um, The family said this, they said that, uh, she said, don't worry about me, and they, they said, the power of a mother's strength is truly a force without equal in this world. In other words, although she's... Although she's in the state that she's in, she's fighting for her life. But she's not fighting for her life. Whose life is she fighting for? hmm There truly is no other force of nature in this world besides a mother's love. And when Jesus says, I yearn to gather you together as chicks underneath my wing, he's saying, there's no force on this earth. And you know the force of a mother. There's no force on this earth that will keep God from giving his life to you, from fighting for you, for saying, I know all that little baby ducks have gone, and I'm going to go out there at whatever cost it takes, quack, 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 quack. And take you back into my fold and into my arms because you have rejected the prophets. You have rejected my word. You have been disobedient to the things that I told you not to do. And you think that you can come back to me. You can't. I have to come to you. Why did the hen go into the foxhole? Because he loved you. Because he cared for you. Because he says my life is worth you. And he's warning over this in this moment at this time, so if you hear my voice today live or online, a recording, repent and believe, because that's all it is. Jesus has given his life for you on the cross. He died in your place to take away all of your sins, and he's looking forward to that day when you come to be with him, but he wants you to be under his wings until that time that he comes to, to, to bring you back. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Do you see that last part, you were not willing? Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will, not, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. What Jesus is saying here is that there is, this, there is there's coming a time, Jerusalem, when you have rejected me so often that I'm going to give you what you want. You're not going to live underneath God's grace in this moment when in 70 AD your city is going to be sacked. It's going to be taken away from you. Something very precious is going to be taken away from you. But every time, this is the interesting thing about when he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. In Matthew 24, Jesus' disciples and he are walking around Jerusalem and Jesus' disciples are saying, look at all these buildings around here. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you that a day is coming when not one stone will be left on another. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, right, at the beginning of 24. But then you look at the rest of 24 and 25, what does he talk about? The end time. The day is coming when there is no more gathering the chicks underneath your wing. The day is coming that not only your city is going to be destroyed, but you and I are living in this time right now that God is going to come back one day to take us to be with him. And if that day doesn't come first, before we die, that will be a truly terrible day if we're not underneath his wings. And so that's why Jesus cries about this. And he says, I want to gather you underneath my wings because the day is coming that in, can you go to the next slide? Um, Look, your house is left to you desolate. That means it's going to be empty. There's not going to be anything left. There's going to be no hope. And the next slide. In Philippians 2.11, it says that day is coming that whether you have Whether you have believed in Jesus or whether you haven't believed in Jesus, your knee is going to bow. It's going to bow in submission of Jesus. And it's not going to be just as a mother hen, but it's going to be as your judge. So, Jesus says, Believe in me and repent because that day is coming. What are we going to do in response to this? The final thing. In conclusion, we're going, to run, we're going to run to the wings of his peace in every moment that we can. In every time that we can, we're going to say, Jesus, you, your prophets, your word, it's here, and I want to run to that safe space. How do we run to that safe space? We're going to mark those times in our days and our years and our calendar and say, God, you've given me Christian community. And I know that when I hear this message today, that I'm built up in faith. And so when we have church on a Sunday, or church on a Sunday evening or morning, that you're going to run to that and say, I'm not running to that because pastor tells me i got to be in church, but this is a huge thing in my life that I want to be a part of because God is keeping me in his care, in his wings. And that when you know that you've been baptized, if you haven't, talk to me, that in your baptism you wake up every morning and you say, God, you have made me who I am, and I live in your care. And when you come up to the Lord's Supper and you take the body and blood of Jesus, he's saying, I want to put my wings, and I am putting my wings around you, and there's nothing that can touch you because I forgive you. You're going to have peace when you run into the wings of Jesus. Peace that nothing in this world, although you might be persecuted and saints across the world are being persecuted for their faith, it's going to be, it's going to be destructive, but it won't be devastating because you're under his wings. You have access to God the Father through prayer. Because he's given his life, his son, of his, his son for you. You can pray to him and you can ask him anything you want. And you can have eternal life. Because here's what I'm going to close with. Although the hen went into the foxhole, did he stay there? No. As we go through Lent, especially on these Sunday mornings, we're going to remember that Jesus didn't stay in the foxhole he faced death but he came out of the foxhole so that when you and i face death when we have this moment when we're facing the scariest thing in our life we can say he lives and so do i because i'm under his care and under his wings so your savior loves you his resolve is greater than any enemy your savior loves you his resolve is enough to give his life for you because he loves you more than a mother loves her children and your Savior says, run, 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 run into my wings every moment that you can. Amen.